Episode 20, Michelle Seiler Tucker, founder and CEO of Seiler Tucker. I would, you know, I made so many mistakes, but I would say my favorite. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And now on with the show. Our guest today is Michelle Seiler Tucker. She is the founder and CEO of her firm, Seiler Tucker. She has many certifications, including, and I thought this was interesting, she's one of only three women in the United States to hold the Merger and Acquisition Master Intermediary Certification, which tells you a little bit about her line of work, and we'll explore that today. She has an upcoming book. It's available for pre-order now. It's called Exit Rich, The 6P Method to Sell Your Business for Huge Profit. And she has a previous book called Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth. Michelle, thanks for joining us. How are you? Great, Mark. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for being here. And I'm really interested to learn more about your line of work and the books. But as we normally do, we'll start off and ask you to tell a story. What do you consider to be your favorite mistake? I would, you know, I made so many mistakes, but I would say my favorite um, was when, so I used to be in franchise sales, franchise consulting, franchise development, and I transitioned into, into selling companies. And I transitioned to selling small businesses first, and now I sell businesses 20 million and up. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my biggest mistake or my favorite mistake was our first closing was a flower shop and contacted the attorney um, that they wanted to do the closing the landlord was out of the country and I asked the attorney, I said, well, can we close without a lease? And he goes, yes, we'll just, we'll just have this document transition to lease or something like that beforehand. And we can close without a lease. And I said, okay. So we go to the closing um, table, buyer, seller, attorneys, husbands, you know, spouses are there. Mm-hmm. And so we get through all the closing documents and I said, okay, where's the lease? And I, and I looked at the attorney and I said, um, you said we didn't have to have the lease that you can do this transition agreement. And he goes, no, I never said that. Mm-hmm. I never said that. You have to have a lease. You can't close without a lease. I never told you that. So he lied. <laughs> but I went to the closing without getting a lease, didn't know any better. And that was a huge mistake. The buyer was really upset with me. The seller was really upset with me. And they all loved the attorney and hated me. (laughs) So I relied upon the attorney and what he said instead of doing my own due diligence to make sure I could do the closing without the lease. I ended up closing uh, two weeks later, Mm -hmm. but that was, you know, a big mistake that I learned from and I've never done that again. Well, thank you for, for sharing that story, Michelle. And I mean, you know, that's the theme of the podcast here is learning from mistakes. So I was wondering if you could kind of you know, elaborate a little bit on this idea of you're know, relying on the attorney or, you know, we all as business people have specialists 
that right. we, we, we rely <laughs> on them as, you know, for specialized information. How, how do you strike the balance today if you're looking at a situation of when do you rely on or trust that expert versus doing your own due diligence? So the big lesson that came out of that, Mark, is I trust now, I trust, but I verify. Ah, there we go. So I trust, but I verify. I inspect what I expect. So now if I ask an attorney something, I double check and I'll call other attorneys. Or nowadays you can pretty much pull up anything on Google. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I'll search Google or I'll call backup attorneys or backup CPAs and I'll ask multiple people now. So I trust, but verify. That's the number one thing. Yeah, there's the the uh, the expression that dates back to the Reagan administration, <laughs> right? Trust but verify, and you know, for, from my background, when when you said um, in, inspect what you expect, that mm. resonates with me. My roots originally were in manufacturing, and mm. and people talking about you know you you get what you expect, but you have to double check and 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 not assume. Well, and that's a problem that a lot of business owners make is that they delegate. They finally learn how to delegate because most entrepreneurs are control freaks and they don't want to delegate. But then it's like opposite, right? Like they're all in doing everything themselves or they decide I'm going to delegate everything. Yeah. But then they let go of so much control, they never come back to inspect it or they never put that liaison in place that can go from department to department to make sure things are getting done correctly. And I've seen it happen time and time and time again where the owner thinks everything is going smoothly and come to find out it's not and nobody was inspecting the quality. Yeah. So before we talk more about exiting a business and, and your experiences and recommendations around that. Maybe we can talk about common mistakes when people are building or running a business. I saw in one of the clips, you speaking about you know the question of, is somebody building a business or have they just created a job? Like I, I read the book, The E-Myth, probably 20 years ago, which yeah. I think I'm first- I'm friends with Michael Gorber. I know Michael Gorber yeah. personally. Yeah. And so, you know, that that idea first stuck with me of, you know, if you're going to build a business, you've got to have something that's scalable and something you can take a vacation away from. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that building a business as opposed to just a job? And then how does that impact an eventual exit? So a lot of business owners have created a job that they go to work at rather than a business that works for them. And when buyers are looking to buy a business, there's five different types of buyers. And we talk about that in my book, Exit Rich. But buyers want to buy a business that's not dependent upon the owner. If the owner is dependent in that business, then that owner is going to have to stay on for so many years and or just sell a percentage of their company and hold a percentage. They're not going to be able to sell outright. So buyers are lo really looking for a business that's sustainable, that is not dependent upon the owner. So the first thing, we talk about the six P's in Exit Rich, and that first P is people. Buyers want to make sure they're buying a company that has tenured employees. They want to make sure that they have the right people in the right seat. They want to make sure that they have a management team in place. Right. And that there's also some non-competes for key employees as well. And they want to make sure that there are W-2s, not necessarily 1099s, because if you're in manufacturing, we have a manufacturing plant that has about 150 1099s in their plant. 
if they have a catastrophic event occur mm -hmm. and there's no workers comp, that's going to be a huge issue that could close that business down. Mm -hmm. So now we have to do the math to figure out what it would cost to convert these employees. I mean, these non-employees to employees. Mm -hmm. So people's number one. Right. Um, and I would say business owners make big mistakes when it comes to people. They don't document things correctly. They don't always have um, employee handbook signed. They don't always have the non-competes for key employees. And a lot of times they have 1099s in place where they should have W-2s. Mm -hmm. One of the other P's is process, right? Yes, that's number three. <laughs> yeah, I number mean, all of my P's. Yeah. So process is number three. And I will tell you, it's probably the most overlooked by business owners mm -hmm. because business owners are focused on everything else. And they really think about process after the fact. And process that should be designed when your company has been designed plus you should revisit your processes on an annual basis. And you should make sure that your processes are designed with the customer experience in mind. Here's a perfect example. Have you watched the movie, The Founder? Uh, this is uh, Ray Kroc. Well, yes, it's based upon story. the McDonald Brothers and the Ray Kroc story, right? So did you watch it? I, I have not seen it yet. It, oh no. my gosh, you gotta see that movie. Okay. So the McDonald Brothers, not even Ray Kroc, oh, the, McDonald the McDonald Brothers right. went out to the tennis court empty tennis court, took all their employees. They all got in a position. It took them all day to figure out their processes. <laughs> who's going to who's gonna take the order? Who's going to toast the bun? Who's going to cook the burger? Who's going to put the two pickles on the bun? Who's going to you know, package it up and hand it to the client? And they did it with the customer experience in mind because back then in the 50s, they only had drive-ups. Mm -hmm. And the objective that, right, that McDonald brothers were trying to achieve was good tasting quality food in a very short period of time. Right. That was their objective. And, and they wanted the customer experience to be happy, love the food, and get it quick. Mm -hmm. So they designed their processes with the customer experience in mind. Most companies don't do that. I can't even begin to tell you, Mark, how many times I'm doing business with, uh, with a company. And I'm like, you know, you really should go rethink your processes right. <laughs> because right. you're inconveniencing the customer. You're not making it easy for us to do business with you. Yeah. And so many businesses are going out of business because if you don't take care of your customer, somebody else will. And if the processes are not efficient and productive design with the customer experience in mind, you'll be going out of business. Yeah. And, and I asked about process. Sorry to jump ahead in, in the order. But <laughs> that's okay. Process is a word that's near and dear to my heart as an engineer. I help organizations with process. And I'm curious um, what your experiences are. I've seen in a lot of organizations, and this includes healthcare organizations, the process just evolved. It, nobody ever took the time to step back and design it. Mm -hmm. So then you got just the way it sorted itself out and then people are too busy to take that pause and go back and define processes. So it sounds like the McDonald brothers and other businesses are smart to take time up front and, and I build think, that foundation, right? No, I think you're accurate in what you said. Most businesses, it just kind of sorts itself out or it kind of evolves. In Most business owners don't really think about it. Most entrepreneurs are not engineers. They don't always have that mindset and they don't always think about the foundation. They just think about getting clients and making widgets and getting them out there. They don't really think about the processes. Mm -hmm. So I think it more happens the way you just said that it happens on uh, McDonald Brothers were different and I did design it. But if you look at, I think it was Dollar Shave Club that completely changed their processes 
that took them to a billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. So processes are huge and business owners really should be going back and looking at those processes to make sure it takes the customer experience in mind because it's all about keeping clients happy, right? right. And then you got to make sure those processes are documented in SOPs and a policy and procedure manuals and make sure that the employees are trained on it, such. I mean, that's why McDonald's does so well because you can go to McDonald's in China or Russia or U.S. and you get the same experience. Yeah, I've heard it said, yeah, they sell consistency. They sell consistency, which is processes. You can't have consistency without processes. Right. Um, So, and speaking of process, and and maybe, you know, you can touch on your book again again for the listeners. It's called Exit Rich and the work that, that you've done, Michelle. It, how much of a, I mean, it's, it seems like from your work that there is a process for getting a company ready to solve. It's not just flipping a switch. There's a lot of work. There is a lot of steps, right? Tell us about that. Yeah. So Exit Rich is all about, well, let me kind of back up. Mm-hmm. One of the, so this is my second book on selling businesses. According to Steve Forbes, who, by the way, endorsed Exit Rich, mm-hmm. says 10, eight out of 10 businesses don't sell. The reason eight out of 10 businesses don't sell is because they're not ready to sell. Mm -hmm. They haven't planned their exit. So Exit Rich is all about planning. I call it the ST, which is Seller Tucker, the ST GPS exit model. Mm -hmm. And that means going into your business from day one of buying or starting, determining your end game, determining what you want to sell your business for. So if you want to sell for $5 million, then that's fine. Set that mark that you want to sell for $5,000, reverse engineer it, Mm-hmm. What time do you want to sell it for? What time frame? Five years? Okay. What is it worth today? What's your current location? What's your current evaluation? Then who is your buyer going to be? Because there's five different types of buyers. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the GPS exit because the biggest mistakes, this is all about the mistake show, right? The biggest mistakes that business owners make is not planning their exit. They don't think about selling until mm-hmm. they have to due to an internal or external catastrophic event occurring. And by that time, it's typically not in good shape. It's trending downward. They're not going to be able to sell it for value. They might be able to sell it for pennies on the dollar, but they're not going to be able to maximize value. So the best time to sell is when the business is doing well. So Exit Rich is all about helping business owners plan that GPS exit model and determine their end game, reverse engineering, and then build the business on the six page because... If you have a business that operates in all six Ps, you're going to have a sustainable, scalable, and when you're ready, sellable business. Mm-hmm. And um, that that takes time. So what, what's the general lead time between somebody deciding they want to retire or they want to exit and start something else? I mean, how long does that take, especially considering if they have to work on these six Ps? to? to so it really, I mean, that's like the, the billion dollar question, right, Mark? Because it really depends upon what stage they're at. Mm-hmm. You know, if they, um, if a business owner is not doing well and really is only functioning on a few of the six Ps, and wants $10 million for their company, it could take a while to build that $10 million company. But if they come to me and say, look, I just need out, I need to pay off my debt, you know, then it could be much quicker. So it just mm-hmm. really depends upon where they are in a cycle. You know, mo- a lot of business owners will come to me and say, 
I want $20 million for my company. And I'm like, okay, how did you come up with that value? Right. <laughs> and they're like, well, that's what I need to retire on. Well, well that's what I need to pay for my kid's college. Or that's what I need to divorce my, my spouse. <laughs> or, you know, whatever the reason may be. And buyers don't care about your reasons. They care right. about value. Right. So, I mean, I've taken companies. I've, I have one company that we sold for $18 million. They had 18 patents. Three months, we sold the company. We appraised it in a $9.8 million and sold it for $18 million. Mm. I had one company take me six years to sell. Mm -hmm. So it just really depends on how long can they hold on? How old are they? What are the events? Are there any internal events or any health issues, you know, partner disputes? I mean, it just goes on and on and on about what the issues are. Is there environmental issues and we got to relocate? I mean, the list just never ends. So it's hard to answer that question because you just got to really figure out what stage they're in. Yeah. And, and does it also depend on how much work needs to be done? How how solid and ready are they to be sold at a good valuation? Right, right, right. And, you know, I can get my clients a number, but it might not be their number. And that's why I go through the seller sanity check with my clients and say, okay, well, I can sell your business for a million, but you're wanting five. And we're nowhere close to five. So this is your choice. You either mm-hmm. sell it for a million or you build it to sell. And here's the steps. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you do that work with companies over time, or do you bring in other advisors to come help them build the business? So I do a little bit of everything. I'm not a consultant. I don't trade time for dollars, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, I have partnered with business owners, putting up my expertise, my resources, invest my money. Mm-hmm. And I do that for equity mm-hmm. um, and then for a management fee. So I don't, you know, I do that for businesses. I really think I can deliver massive value and that has a niche. I don't want, I'm not going to be in a restaurant. (laughs) I'm not going to be in businesses that don't have a niche. So I do do that. I've also bought in consultants before. And then I have a a program that we're coming out with called Build to Sell. It's a step-by-step blueprint, online educational platform that business owners can go through and follow the steps. And so it sounds like that that partnership and investing, it reminds me a little bit of the show, The Profit with Marcus Lemonis uh-huh. without yeah. being televised. You're, you're yeah. really kind of stepping in. and, and I really you know. am. I really do what Marcus does. And, you know, I should have my own show. <laughs> the difference is I build to sell. He doesn't really have an exit strategy oh, okay. in mind when sure. he does it. And he does. He takes things I would never take. <laughs> Just in terms of the industry and the types of products. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like you're not going to see me in the restaurant business because I know that's that's not me. <laughs> so um, how, you, you mentioned earlier you had been um, involved in, did you say, um, selling franchises? And then how, how did you transition into, I'm, I'm really fascinated in this business of helping people sell their businesses. So it, it was it was quite an easy transition because I, um, I had been working for one company in particular where I was a partner with them. And I was doing everything. I was selling the franchises. I was doing the demo, you know, pulling the demographics, doing the site locations, doing the build out, organizing the build out, you know, organizing the staffing. I was really doing everything. Um, but I was a partner and it got to a situation where I sold so many franchises that they couldn't keep up. So they were over promising, under delivering. And I just said, you know what, you got to buy me out because I can't keep, I'm not going to sell any more franchises until you get it together. Typical, typical company who has a great idea. And then I went out and sold a bunch of franchises, but they never built a foundation. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So after that, after they bought me out, I decided to transition into selling businesses because selling franchises, selling businesses is very similar. And do you do work all across the, the U.S.? I do. And Canada. We've done things in Canada. Um, we've done things in Columbia, uh, Columbia and Trinidad. Yeah. And, and what industries do you focus most on? You mentioned manufacturing earlier. At so least. I'm industry agnostic. Um, we're more EBITDA specific. Okay. We have over 25,000 buyers on our database and we have buyers for good businesses. There are actually more buyers for good businesses than there are good businesses to buy. Mm. <laughs> so we're more EBITDA specific. When the EBITDA is over a million dollars, we have hundreds of buyers for each business. And then that helps drive up. I mean, if you've got potential buyers, that's how you help get a better price from the, for the seller. Right. We can create a bidding war because we can. Um, we know what buyers want. We know what buyers are looking for. We know how to create those synergies because buyers will outbid other buyers for synergies. Mm-hmm. You know, if a buyer can buy a contract, um, I, like for instance, we sold a company in Louisiana, oil manufacturing again, um, but they had customer concentration. And they had 60% of the revenues tied up in the BP contract. We wow. had 12 LOIs on this business. And we found a strategic that had a similar product, but different. I had been trying to get in BP for years and could never get in. Mm-hmm. Well, that's their end. So yeah. they bought that company because they knew it was synergistic. And they knew that once you know, they had that relationship, they would get their other products and services in there, which they did. Yeah. So again, our, our guest here is Michelle Seiler-Tucker. Her upcoming book is... Exit Rich, the 6P method to sell your business for huge profit. So, uh, Michelle, I know, you know, people will get obviously so much more detail from the book. We've covered, um, we've got people, we've got process. Can you throw the other four P's at us? Uh, sure. I don't know if you can ask me. <laughs> so one is product. Um, number two is product. So you got to ask yourself, is your business an Amazon or is it a blockbuster? Mm-hmm. Is it thriving or is it dying? Mm-hmm. You know, industries that were exploding before COVID are now dying and industries that were dying before COVID are now exploding. Mm-hmm. So just because you're in a dying industry doesn't mean you quit. <laughs> right. If you're in a dying industry, then you got to pivot. You got to look at, okay, you got to ask yourself, what business am I in? What business should I be in? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what that's what Steve Jobs did when he came back to Apple. Apple was dying. Mm-hmm. He asked, what business are we in? And they also were in the computer business. He said, no, no, no. What business should we be in? And he said, well, we should be in a communications business. And that one question alone, which sparked that an- answer, developed the iPhone, the iPad, mm-hmm. the iPod, and everything I, which, by the way, that brand Apple right now is the largest brand in the world. Right. Value is $380 billion. That's yeah. without assets, cash flow, furniture, fixtures, equipment, or anything. So you got to ask yourself, is your industry thriving or in, is your industry dying, right? Mm-hmm. So you got people, you got product, you got processes. The fourth P is the biggest value driver, and that's proprietary. Mm-hmm. So people pay for brands. Mm-hmm. Coca-Cola, the Coca-Cola brand is worth $89 billion without any cash flow. Apple is worth $390 billion without any cash flow. Mm-hmm. So build your brand, build your value. Same thing with your company name. You'd be surprised, Mark, how many business owners get a local trademark but never a federal trademark on mm-hmm. their company name. They get the domain, they get the company name, 
But guess what? Somebody else starts using it. And before you know it, they're, they're in a lawsuit. Right. And if they didn't protect their company name, they're out. So you gotta get trademarks. You gotta protect your company name. You gotta protect your logo, your slogan, like the six P method. Mm-hmm. That's trademarked. The STGPS exit model, even exit rich, I got trademarked. Right. Yeah. So get this stuff trademarked and get patents. These are value drivers. Right. The other big value driver is contracts. Mm-hmm. And for all of your listeners, have a get client agreements. Client agreements are huge, mm-hmm. and it drives value. But get manufacturing agreements, vendor agreements, distributor agreements. But here's the caveat to that. 99% of all business owners never have a transferability clause in their contract. Mm. 99.9% of all sales are asset sales because the buyers don't want the liability. Mm-hmm. That deal will stop dead in its tracks If the contracts are not transferable, Mm -hmm. it's two sentences. (laughs) So that's number one. You got to have transferable contracts. Mm -hmm. Also, I mean, we're dealing with a manufacturing business that has a manufacturing plant in Canada. They have no agreement with them. Mm -hmm. They have no backup plan. Mm -hmm. And that manufacturing business goes out. They're out of business. You should never put all your eggs in one basket. Always have backup plans. Um, The other thing that's big on proprietary it's databases, mm-hmm. and it's probably the most overlooked and the most undervalued, but it has the biggest value. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp, mm-hmm. and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money. But WhatsApp had a billion users, yeah. and Facebook knew they could ROI and monetize that. Yeah, yeah. One other thing on proprietary that's huge, e-commerce businesses. If you're selling home goods and you're number one on Wayfair, guess what that is? That's real estate that is very hard to get. Mm, right. If you have a niche product and you've cornered the market for that particular um, industry on Amazon, that's huge value. If you got Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck or you know anybody from the Kid Craddock show endorsing your product, that's huge value. Yeah. So that drives up the price. Um, the fifth P is patrons. And patrons is customer base. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest issues for businesses is that they stop asking their clients, what do you need? What do you want? How can I make your life easier to do business with us? Do they start assuming or they they, they, They they think they know? They become complacent. When I wrote Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013 and did the research, 85 to 95% of all startups would fail. We all know that, right? That's common knowledge. I'm not teaching you anything you don't know. However, I bet y'all don't know this. When I wrote Exit Rich in 2019 and did the same research, there are 30.2 million businesses in the U.S. employing over half the U.S. workforce. Mm-hmm. Out of 27.6 million businesses, 70% of those businesses that have been in business at 10 years or longer are at great risk of going out of business, mm-hmm. 70%. And only 30% of startups will go out of business now, mm-hmm. only 30%. So you hear about the big box stories like Toys R Us, Kmart, JCPenney's, but you're not hearing about the private small companies mm-hmm. on every street corner in every city and every state across a great nation that are dropping like flies yep. before COVID. Right. And the reason for that is because of lack of aim. AIM is always innovate, always market. Mm-hmm. Always innovate, always market. It's like Blockbuster. Netflix came in, Blockbuster did nothing. <laughs> they <laughs> sat there fat and happy and did nothing. And they lost everything. So business owners got to stop being complacent. 
And whoever makes it easiest for the consumer to do business with them mm-hmm. is the one who's going to win. Right. Amazon wins because Amazon asks themselves, what business are we in? They were in the book business. Right. But then they said, what business should we be in? What are we really, really, really good at? We're in a fulfillment business. Mm-hmm. So let's take on everybody's products. And hey, by the way, we can sell a horse too. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what business owners stop doing. They stop asking, what business are we in? What business should we be in? What do our clients want? What do our clients need? How can we make it easier to do business with them? And the last one is profits, the mm-hmm. most important. Yeah. So profits is always a symptom, never the problem. Always a symptom, never the problem. And not operating on one of the five Ps. Because Mark, if you don't have the right people, you're going to lose profits. Yep. If you don't, if if you are not in the right industry and your product is suffering, you're going to lose profits. If your processes are not efficient and productive, and you lose clients because they're angry about your service, you're going to lose profits. If you haven't protected your IP, you're going to lose profits. If you have customer concentration, like patrons. It's customer concentration. Then here's another thing. A business has been in business for 20, 30, 40 years. Guess what happens? The customers age out. Mm, right. And they stop marketing to people who are spending money. Mm-hmm. And the way millennials do business is not the same way that baby boomers did right. business. So, it's, I mean, there's, there's just this, this gold mine of different business mistakes that you've you've mentioned here that would interfere with someone's ability to exit rich. And it seems like Correct. that's really what your life and your work and your book Really focused on helping people maximize what they get out of something that they've put their life right. into. Right, right. And you know, you don't know what you don't know, right? So yeah. it's not what you know that gets you in trouble. It's what you don't know that gets you in trouble. But yeah, we try to help clients not make some of these mistakes so that when they're ready, they can exit rich. Yeah. And um, yeah, we, we learn by making mistakes, but there's a time to learn from someone else's Mistake, and it seems like that's a reason for well, hiring genius. you to benefit from that right. that experience. A genius learns from other people's mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> so well. I love the name of your show. <laughs> yeah. well, thank you, and I uh, love the the name of your book. and And Michelle, can you tell people about um, you know some of the uh, the pre order opportunities, some of the special sure. offers that are available even right now? Sure. So Exit Rich um, was endorsed by Kevin Harrington, which was original Shark Tank and Steve mm-hmm. Forbes. Uh, if you go to ExitRichBook.com, that's ExitRichBook.com, and buy the book now for $24.79, includes shipping. You will immediately receive the digital download. You will get free access, lifetime membership into the book club, mm-hmm. which has training of me talking about all this stuff in great depth. Plus, it has document downloads. Like if you've never seen a due diligence checklist before, I have one. Mm-hmm. If you've never seen an LOI, there's one in there. If you've never seen what closing docs look like, I have one in there. So everything you need to build a sustainable, scalable, and sellable business is in there. Plus, they get 30 days um, of free membership into Club CEOs, where we do hot seats, masterminds, and have conversations just like this. Mm-hmm. So we can focus on what business are you in? What business should you be in? Yeah. And all of those type questions. So we get the right answers to help people not only survive this pandemic, but thrive afterwards. Right. And when the book comes out in January, we ship it to your door. There's a lot that's uh, offered there, and I, I hope people will will check that out. And you mentioned Kevin Harrington. You know, I was really thrilled when I had the chance to interview him and um, the co-author from his most recent book, Mark Tim. They were guests on uh, episode one 
of this podcast series. So if, if somebody is listening to this for the first time because you know Michelle and her work, um, I'd invite you to check out Kevin's episode and uh, everything else that we have here in the series. So we've been joined today by Michelle Seiler Tucker of the firm Seiler Tucker. And again, um, her, her new book, Exit Rich, The 6P Method to Sell Your Business for Huge Profit. Uh, Michelle, thank you so much for um, you know sharing a lot of really interesting um, you know, experiences and insights with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure being here. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. See you next time.